This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education, and I have a young and aspiring PhD candidate from Old Dominion University, Lindsay Nolan, uh, who is going to be here talking about her research expertise and experience around self-efficacy and teaching students with disabilities or disabled students in PE settings. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I, I got to know Lindsay uh, really well. We got to know each other really well in New Zealand. I had a really nice time uh, hanging out with you and your family and, and such. And so super happy to have you here. How was What was your favorite experience in New Zealand for the ASAPA conference before we get into who you are and your research? Oh, that's a tough one to narrow it down to just one experience, because I think just being able to travel across the world and meet people that I never would have thought that I would have um, the chance to have a conversation with and learn from and see how things are going in New Zealand and the type of research that's going on there. But I will say just, um, I think the whole conference was so well organized and I learned so much and I just enjoyed the um, time that we had and in getting to know you as well as Wes and so Nicole. And Non-conference though, what was your favorite part of New Zealand? I, I went and saw penguins in the wild. That was incredible. Non-conference? Yeah. Uh, well, I actually had the amazing experience of traveling like to two or three different cities after the conference with my grandmother and my boyfriend. And so I think just that experience of traveling a whole nother country for multiple days and um, spending that time with my family was just amazing. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Lindsay. And so Lindsay, you are at Old Dominion University. You are in your final, hopefully final year of your PhD and you have been in and you were a teacher prior to that. Can you talk a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in the field of adaptive physical education? Yeah, so um, when I was in my undergrad, I was working on, I was working in physical education, teacher education. And during my student teaching experience, Dr. Block from the University of Virginia actually came to Bradford, where I was um, attending at the time and spoke with us about adapted physical education, which was actually a concept that I really didn't even know existed. Um, I, in Virginia, we don't require the certification. So in a lot of undergrad programs, it's not talked about. So when Dr. Block came and spoke to uh, my class and gave us information, I went into my student teaching experience with a whole new outlook on what PE meant for disabled students and what it could look like for them. And I didn't like what I was seeing from the student teachers that I was working with and the school systems that I was in. So I decided to get my master's and um, go to UVA to work with Dr. Block um, and get that experience in adapted physical education. During that time, I spent time as an adapted physical educator, which was um, very, it was a unique experience within Charlottesville where I got to travel from school systems to school systems and 
work with a variety of students within the county. And I learned so much from Dr. Block and my experiences there. Um, COVID hit, unfortunately, while I was in the heat of my master's program. So it kind of got moved online. I ended up getting a PE job and I just taught, I went back to general physical education and I taught PE. And during that time, I just was not, I wasn't satisfied with what I was um, experiencing at my first school and the support from administration. It just, I just was not happy with where I was. And luckily, Dr. Block sent me an email with Dr. Hagel, um, Dr. Hagel CC'd to the email talking about the um, amazing OSEP scholar opportunity to work on getting my PhD in adaptive physical education. And so I immediately applied and one year later, I ended up at Old Dominion working on my PhD and I've enjoyed it ever since. So and you have like a nice little cohort there, a lot of, uh, you know, nice other doctoral students that you're in there with yeah. awesome too. Definitely. It was um, two other, two other students and I, we all started at the same time um, and we are all on track together to be graduating this year too. And it's just been nice working together and um, taking those steps to um, finish this, this journey that we're on. So your research, which is part of your journey, is focused largely on self-efficacy theory. And I believe that's Bandura, Albert Bandura. I believe he just passed away, right? Um, yeah, long ago. And you're focused on the study of confidence of PE teachers to teach disabled children. So can you talk a little bit about this broad self-efficacy theory? I, you know, I, I find personally, and maybe like some listeners are going to have different levels of understanding of it. I think it's a common, somewhat common known, at least on a very surface level that it's based, like I think of it as self-confidence often. But I, right. I looked at your stuff. It looks like you're getting a little bit more in depth on that um, and, and such. Or So can you talk a little bit about the theory and why it's important to understand PE teachers' confidence around teaching disabled children? Yeah, so uh, when looking at self-efficacy, it is commonly known as one's confidence in their abilities to carry out a given task. However, the just looking at, at it from one's confidence level has left out a lot of information and understanding of what informs PE teachers' self-efficacy to teach students with disabilities within um, a variety of different settings. So when looking at the theory of self-efficacy, Bandura proposed that different these four different sources of self-efficacy inform one's beliefs. And I know this is a very common thing, so I won't go too in-depth on the four sources, but you know you have your mastery experiences, which are the interpreted results of one's previous experience. And you have your vicarious experience, which refers to the information that one gains from observing others. And social persuasions is the feedback that you get from other people in the environment or related to your capabilities about um, carrying out 
the task at hand. And then your physiological responses refers to any emotions, feelings, and your affective states during performance. So together, these four sources of self-efficacy um, are said to construct one's beliefs in their capabilities to carry out a given task. And what's important for PE teachers is the um, experiences that they've had leading up to working in the school systems, leading up to having disabled students in their classes, all inform how they approach the task. Um, Bandura proposed, or part of this self-efficacy theory is having a higher self-efficacy um, refers or informs one's ability. So they are more likely to carry out a task. In this case, a PE teacher is more likely to provide accommodations or modifications for disabled students in integrated PE classes. So um, looking at self-efficacy of PE teachers in service, pre-service has been a very uh, heavy, heavily researched topic, I'd say, within the past um, decade or so. Um, and it is moving. I think there's a lot of room for growth still within this field. A lot of... Um, I want to jump in because I, I like those dimensions that you just said. And I know that's like, whatever, but we often don't talk about it in that depth. And we kind of talk about it as this broad thing, which I think is somewhat what we're getting to here. And that there's a lot of these dimensions that we haven't maybe looked at too closely in this, this world. Um, before we get maybe into, because we're also going to touch on a systematic review that you just did that might kind of bring some of that, what's missing in the literature here. I want to touch on those dimensions because I do think they're important um, to highlight. So, you know, I heard vicarious, uh, social persuasion, and I just, and we don't have to go through each one of them, but I just would like, like, if you could, like, is there an example uh, that, that you could provide in, in like, what is a, a, like, what would be an example of a vicarious experience specific to PE and teaching disabled students? Right. So um, when, PE teachers don't are unable to evaluate their own capabilities or when prior experience is limited. So when they don't have any mastery experiences of their own in teaching disabled students in integrated classes, then the information that they've gained from observing other PE teachers teach disabled students in this context provides information related to their capabilities and um, oftentimes they're learning problem solving strategies from these experiences that they can later utilize when they are then teaching disabled students themselves. And then do those same ones like kind of lead to that level of mastery and competence, like social persuasion? Is that as mm -hmm. strong as the mastery experiences? No, when that's a great question. And within the literature, a lot of the times everyone just says mastery experience is the most influential source. And that makes sense because that it allows authentic experiences for one to evaluate their capabilities as well as the task at hand. But if you look at research that has dug into the sources of self-efficacy, 
social persuasions has been referred to as a less um, influential source. But a lot of the times when you look at self-efficacy from outside of PE teaching, just teacher self-efficacy in general, most mastery experiences have been kind of judged by the social persuasions they've received in that environment. So PE teachers are judging the success of their teaching based off of the social persuasions that they're receiving from their students or other um, colleagues within the classroom. So to, it's you can say one is stronger than the other, but in all reality, it's only through cognitively processing all four sources of information do they shape their, te their teacher self-efficacy beliefs. So they're all intersecting all the time. Yeah. Right. One other thing before we get into these challenges uh, or, or things that you found in your systematic review, one thing that I'm aware of, and again, I think this is like somewhat common, like information is like the idea that sometimes uh, one self-efficacy can be really high and abilities can be really low at novice areas. And then we can see the opposite trend at like highly experienced levels. Is that something that we've also seen? Uh, and again, if it's a, we don't know, um, but like, can you talk briefly about that effect? And then if we've seen that at all in the PE related literature? Yeah. And that's an interesting topic because we have seen pre-service teachers coming out of um, their programs with highly self-efficacious towards teaching disabled students. And once they have had a year of teaching, so after their first year of teaching, their self-efficacy has significantly decreased because maybe perhaps this isn't, hasn't been explored, but actually having that authentic experience of what it is like to teach in a real school setting, in a real integrated class, has um, changed their efficacy towards teaching them in the future. Whereas coming out of their pre-service programs where they've had some training experiences that might not have reflected the actual environment that they will be teaching them in in the future, has made them feel like they have the capabilities to do it um, prior to actually doing it. All right, let's jump into this systematic review. You had a systematic review with your advisor, Dr. Justin Hagel. Uh, even though he says he doesn't listen to podcasts, I think he's been on this podcast about seven times or something now. So. Um, and you all published in Adaptive Physical Activity Quarterly. It's called The Self-Efficacy of Physical Education Teachers to Teach Students with Disabilities, a systematic review of the literature. Uh, so you basically looked at a big number of studies and such over the last 20 years in the, the PE and disability areas. And I just wanna, I wanna understand generally uh, like trends that you found in the literature. And then I think something that you're maybe also getting to is maybe um, potential gaps in the literature. Okay. Yeah, I so I explored, I think yeah, there was 24 studies included in this review and it encompasses pretty much all of the literature in this field because 
it wasn't until 2005 where self-efficacy was really applied to PE teachers towards teaching disabled students. And since then, um, a couple scales have been created. Uh, in 2010, Dr. Talia Farrow created her uh, scale. And in 2013, you have Dr. Block's scale measuring, both of which are measuring um, PE teachers' self-efficacy to teach uh students with disabilities in a integrated class. Some trends within that are, um, I would say all of the literature for one is quantitative. There has not been a qualitative study that has utilized the theory of self-efficacy to inform their study within um, PE teachers towards teaching students with disabilities. So that is a significant gap with understanding what actually what sources inform their self-efficacy. And within this literature, most of it has focused on pre-service PE teachers towards teaching um, disabled students. And they have utilized interventions within practicum situations to explore um, their self-efficacy and utilized um, the scales that Dr. Block and Dr. Tally Farrow created. Now, one thing that is missing or just absent from the two um, scales within this context are an actual measurement of the four sources of self-efficacy information. Now, I will say Dr. Tally Farrow's original creation. So the um, physical educators self-efficacy to teach um, students with disabilities autism scale is originally included subscales on the four sources of self-efficacy. However, they weren't included in the initial um, validation of the research. So no studies have used them prior. Well, I shouldn't say no studies. One study has used them. One single study has used them. And they did find a um, significant relationship between the four sources of self-efficacy and PE teacher self-efficacy beliefs. So this supports the um, assertion that we should be including measures of the four sources of self-efficacy within the literature when we're exploring. So so jumping in on that, I, I, so I, it sounds like Maybe, yeah, we're not looking at that intertwining. We're kind of maybe focusing on that mastery experience is what we've been saying. And again, not my area of expertise uh, or, or what the topic, but I believe that's kind of what we're saying is that most of it's focused on this really broad concept of self-efficacy um, mm -hmm. versus getting into like these intersecting things that are just as, may, maybe not just as important, but quite important um, to, to that. I. I also wanted to like, generally your systematic review, you know, review the literature, our, what's our confidence level. And then because that dictates our ability, what, like, what generally are the findings on that? PE teachers generally have a high self-efficacy to teach students with disabilities um, within the context of integrated classes. Now, the majority of that is pre-service 
So it's not really reflecting what it looks like once they enter um, the actual in-service teaching. So um, I don't know, We there's still a need for exploring their overall sense of self-efficacy beliefs and how they change over time with entering the field. So there's a decent chance that that you know, obviously, first off, it sounds like we have to get into the sources. So to truly understand their self-efficacy levels. Uh, and then secondly, it sounds like with a focus on pre-service, we might have a, a false sense of um, their confidence levels, which again, should be dictating their, their ability levels. Um, yeah, okay. So and I, one last question on this aspect of, of the dimensions is, like it, we needed to look at all these aspects within our instruments that maybe we're not doing right now. And I just want to understand like, like in your own words, like why is it essential that we look at all these dimensions versus kind of more this broad view of self-advocacy? So when you are, when researchers are creating interventions or when we're trying to create training for PE teachers to enhance their self-efficacy towards teaching disabled students. And this theory has these four constructs that have been shown to influence self-efficacy beliefs. We are, and we're creating interventions that are aimed to hit to aim to taps in on those four sources or aim to explore or provide mastery experiences or provide vicarious experiences. If we are saying at the end of their intervention that PE teachers self-efficacy improved from pre to post test and their intervention targeted however many sources, if we're not including an actual measurement of the four sources, then how, what information is there to to base the this this claim on this caught this causal claim on because we're not actually measuring if they experienced any successful experiences or if the experiences of watching others actually informed their self-efficacy beliefs yeah so so i can definitely see how that gets more in the weeds of like so I think there's, I've seen a lot of stuff with like contact theory. You're listening podcasts from two or three years ago. Uh, but like, there's like, and that's often towards like self-efficacy and or attitudes, but like without knowing exactly what's happening, because I think that's the, the problem with the contact theory, which generally is more in depth, go back, listen to the podcast, but people often think of it as simply being around uh, disabled persons and that's not really it's a much more in depth about uh, ownership and, and equal status and, and, and planning and such um, but like I think that getting into the weeds like this uh, can potentially allow you to be much more refined in why are the self-efficacy you know trends occurring and then we can craft those interventions I know I'm just repeating what you said but uh, it helps me what recommendations do you then see as far as moving this this area of research further and how do you see yourself fitting into that like what research are you then looking to do 
moving forward to look at all these dimensionalities of uh, self-efficacy. Well, so I'm actually excited to share that I have, I did a qualitative um, inquiry on PE teachers' self-efficacy, and it has recently been accepted to a adapted physical activity quarterly. So hopefully that should be out soon. Um, and so within this qualitative study, I explored the different constructs of self-efficacy theory through interviewing um, 16 PE teachers around the United States. So I got a pretty good sample there. And they're the responses formed or the um, data really helped to construct some unique themes that I think present some new understandings toward what actually shapes PE teachers' self-efficacy beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so within this, within this qualitative study, I found a, I, I found that PE teachers do rely on mastery experiences. They do mention their social persuasions. They do mention vicarious and physiological state. And, and these are very influential in their beliefs towards teaching disabled students. However, there were two contextual factors that were mentioned consistently that PE teachers, um, that their self-efficacy beliefs are contingent on these contextual factors and how their four sources of information influence their self-efficacy is um, highly informed based off of these contextual factors. So two things that I found were that class sizes consistently, PE teachers consistently mentioned large class sizes, which has been a thing within literature. Uh, we, we know that PE has a very uh, large ratio of student to teacher within the classroom. And so this has led to oftentimes 50, 50 kids in one gymnasium, one teacher, no one else. So the PE teachers within these class sizes are stressing the need for hands-on support. So this was the other contextual factor that, that came up. Their self-efficacy beliefs were contingent on having another personnel working alongside the disabled student or working alongside any type of um, student that needed extra support during class time. So the while their um, mastery experiences, while providing PE teachers with hands-on experiences is influential or is um, provides them with a great experience that informs their efficacy, in all reality, if we're not providing them with these experiences within the actual setting that they will be teaching them in, if we're not providing pre-service teachers with experiences in an integrated classroom while trying to teach students with disabilities, then then their self their mastery experiences are not as influential once they enter the real world. It, it seems like getting to these these big factors of like what the what like 
why are they developing your self-efficacy in this way is going to really make okay i know what i want to say getting back to the large class sizes so that seems to negative like does that negatively impact their self-efficacy and then in their previous experiences then so if they were in a really large class size in previous years and are no longer in that well that like do those previous experiences in large class sizes kind of dictate or is it kind of the current group that they're working with does that make sense so um if i understand correctly you're asking their previous experiences with working with yeah. the like is it is it kind of like past experiences that were maybe disorganized and things like, or, or like that would, would that like dictate their current feelings of self-efficacy i you know within this paper PE teachers, I had a large range of years of teaching experience and teachers worked at multiple different school systems and experienced oh. different settings and different class sizes. And you can you can hear or you can see within their responses how they they've had experiences with large class sizes and no support. And when that happens, they do not feel confident that they can teach a student with a disability, but they've had experiences in which they've had the support that they need. And in those experiences or in those situations, they feel like they're capable to teach that student within that setting. Yeah, and that's, thank you for, for giving that from what I was trying to ask, because that was not coming out super clear. So. While I'm thinking about this, something that seems interesting to me is that oftentimes college level practicums are much more organized or, or just even more condensed, more, you know, that they're making lesson plans or working in small groups. They might be, yeah. And I'm wondering in a way if those like really, really organized, you know, things which sometimes happens in the schools as well but oftentimes um that it's a lot a little bit more chaotic for a variety of reasons um especially when you're like a new person and you're handed something um that might be you know nobody's giving you the the, the ropes on um, i'm wondering if that's potentially leading also to this false sense of high self-efficacy levels at the pre-service level because most of their experiences, if they're coming from a practicum, might be much more prescribed and organized than they're going to be. Right. It's structured. Own. It's structured in that practicum setting. So yeah. they know what to expect when going into it. And so when when you are a PE teacher, you don't know what to expect. Every day is different. Every day is different. So I think that with these practicum experiences that are happening, you know, during class time and students are getting credit because they're participating in it it's not giving them that authentic experience of what it's like when it's your responsibility when these students are your responsibility and this is your job and we want all students to be successful within the within the pe environment so i think that that's a battle and 
I mean, I know from my personal, like outside of research, my personal experiences, stepping into being a PE teacher for the first time, that's my administration. I was handed the a self-contained autistic class in my general ed sixth grade class. And there were sixth, seventh and eighth grade students in this autistic class. And they were, I asked for support in how I can um, help or reach each age level within my sixth grade class. And my administrator says, you have your master's in this, you should know what to do. And so that was the extent of the support I got, so. Uh, yes, <laughs> quite interesting. And I, does that say something about your social persuasion? Would that be like kind of influencing right. yourself? Right, my social persuasion, like I didn't have any any feedback. I wasn't given any nothing. So I'm, I immediately felt like, Hack, what am I going to do? I didn't, I had no clue. My self-advocacy definitely went down in that situation. So it sounds to me too, like self-advocacy that Matt is very dictated on like um, the current context as well. Like who am I teaching? What setting, what resources, what support? So even potentially uh, a, a, a true master teacher and can go out, but if the, the experience is too chaotic or unorganized, their self-efficacy is going to be really low, no matter, just like every, like any, you know, like a pre-service teacher or something like that. Right, right. And speaking of the contextual factors, that was, that's another thing that within this line of literature has only been explored within integrated context. So PE teachers, um, self-efficacy to teach disabled students has, we don't know what it looks like within other settings outside of integrated PE. So going for future directions, continuing in, on that conversation that we were having, that is another area of exploration that I am leaning towards is to sort of um, examine PE teachers self-efficacy within integrated contexts and within other instructional placements. I'm looking forward to your future success. Uh, I really liked getting to know you this last, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, known you for about a year or two <laughs> now, but I really got to know you this last few months and I am really excited to see your future success. I believe you're in your dissertation right now. I am. So I don't yes. know if you, like also want to touch on what you are planning to do uh, with that. And then, yeah. Yeah. So actually it leads right into what I was just speaking of. My dissertation is actually, I'm working to construct a new scale to um, uh, measure PE teacher self-efficacy to teach uh disabled students across different instructional placements. And within this scale, I will, I'm looking to include a measurement of the four sources of self-efficacy to expand the literature within both of those areas. And um, through this project and the creation of um, this scale, the intent or the hope is that um, 
the findings from it will be used to problematize the usefulness of the assertions of integrated physical education. So that is a uh, a very exciting uh, dissertation, and it's again, and that's why I wanted to also highlight your work because I think it's really cool that you're getting so in depth on this theory because something that's also been highlighted again probably years ago now on this podcast I'm, I'm being called the og in podcast world now so i know i'm old in this and then like i'll refer to podcasts from six years ago all the time now but um like we've talked a few times about the pancake effects i don't know if you've heard that in our field that we often have we cover a lot of things but maybe not making a tower effect of getting really in depth on, on different items within there. And so to me, what you're doing sounds really cool because it sounds like you're getting, gonna be getting really in depth on something so we can really understand the minutia and nuance that kind of can really propel our field forward in a meaningful way. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your, your background and your research and your future endeavors. Yes, thank you for having me, Scott. I've enjoyed our conversation this morning and I have enjoyed getting to know you as well over the past couple years. So um, again, thanks for having me.